Am I really happy? Am I really contented with my life? The Bible says, therefore, having food and raiment, let us be content. Am I at that point where I'm content with what God is doing and who God is in my life? We're going to talk about a, a man who was really, as they sang a while ago, desperate. A man who was desperate. He lived in a small village in the Galilee region, and he was a normal person doing normal things, working in the kibbutzes and doing his part. I don't know if he kept vineyards. I don't know if he fed cows. I don't really know what his function was, but his home life was very troubled. He had a son that uh, from an infant, the Bible said he had some kind of oppression and he had some kind of, of evil spirit, the Bible said. It was a foul spirit that uh, no one could control him and he really couldn't control himself. In fact, when the man described the condition, he said that he oftentimes will become rigid and convulse and will fall upon the ground and said that spirit that is in him oftentimes has thrown him into the water trying to drown him and has thrown him into the fire trying to burn him up. And he said only by keeping watch on him and caring for him are we able to keep him to this point. But one day that man heard that there was a new personality on the scene. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He was about 30 years old and he had gone to the temple and he had said, I am anointed to preach the gospel. He read the prophecy of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach and to deliver people, to recover sight for the blind to heal the oppressed, to deliver people that are in bondage. And he said, I've got to meet that man because I'm hearing that wherever where he goes, there's great miracles that take place. And if I can just get to where he is, then I would, I would love to have him pray for my son and have him to do something on my son's behalf. I've tried everything else and there's nothing more for me to do. He's uncontrollable. I can't do anything with his condition but it, his situation is managing all of our lives. In other words, you say, might say he got to the place that he couldn't handle what was handling him. Have you ever been to a place where you couldn't handle any more of what was handling you? Have you ever got to a place when things that you couldn't control were bringing so much frustration in your life and, and so much chaos and... and uh, you go to church and you stand up and you dance the dance and you sing the songs and you sing the lyrics and you read them off the screen and you repeat them, but your condition just goes on and on and on. You go up for prayer a lot of times. You bring a request with you about your situation and prayer is offered. And people scream in the name of Jesus. They even get the oil out and uh, anoint your forehead and make a little cross on it and, and uh, pray for you. But your condition just remains and goes on. That's what this man was, was facing in his situation. Mark chapter 9, the Bible said, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them 
And the scribes were questioning with them. They were disputing and arguing. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? What are y'all arguing about, he was saying. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whatsoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. But they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you bring that child, that boy to me? And they brought him unto Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. The devil loves to show out when he gets in the presence of Jesus. Have you all ever noticed that? I said, have you ever noticed how the devil likes to show out in the presence of Jesus? And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, since he was a child. Oftentimes it cast him in the fire and in the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do, if thou canst do anything, have compassion upon us and help us. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, it's not about can I do it. It's about can you believe it. It's not about me having the power over this spirit. It is about you. Jesus says to him, he says, if, if thou canst do anything, what a terrible word that two-letter word is, if if you can do it, and Jesus, and if you understand the vernacular, the rec, right, Jesus said, if I can do it, what do you mean if I can do it? If you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can do it? If you, here's where the if is, if you can believe, then you will see a miracle. You will see God. You will see a deliverance. You will see the answer to your Prayer come. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. I do believe. I know you can heal. I know you can deliver. I know you can set free. But help me with tears. I'm desperate, God. Please help me. I don't know if that does to you what that does to me. But I believe that Jesus felt the compassion in that man. He was really struggling. And don't you sit there with your little authoritative self acting like you've never had doubt and you've never wrestled and struggled with unbelief. Everyone in this house could say with this man, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus said unto him, if you'll just believe, 
all things are possible. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people come running, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many in the crowd said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. Somebody missed a good place to say, Thank the Lord. And he arose. And when we come into the house, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why could we not do what we've done before, but it didn't work this time? And Jesus said unto them, This kind, letting us know that afflictions are of different kinds and of various nature. This kind, this particularly one of many, one of many, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer. And most texts add and fasting. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, you didn't prepare for what confronted you. You got caught off guard. You got caught unprepared and without proper knowledge of what you were dealing with. Now, this passage is found right in the midst of a wonderful, glorious worship experience. What? Yeah, when you open the chapter, you'll find Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what that means? That means he took Peter and James and John, the inner circle, the three, and the Bible said he took them up into the mountain. And while it was there, Elias or Elijah appeared on the mountain with Moses, and they talked and conversed with Jesus. And Peter, who always has an opinion and not much of a filter, said, Jesus, it's so good for us to be here. It's so wonderful for us to be on this mountain with you and to see Elijah and to see Moses and to hear you people talk right here on this mountain. Let's build three churches. We'll call one of them Jesus Church. We'll call one of them Elijah Church. We'll call one of them Moses Church. And Jesus kind of ignored that and understood the source from which it came. And the Bible said the brilliance of the Lord came in a shining way and he was as bright as any refiner can ever make the color white appear. And the Bible said he sparkled and he, he glimmered and he glowed with sovereignty and majesty and with glory. And the Bible said, and then that all changed and Jesus alone was standing there with them. Now that's the scene. And you come right down from that experience to find a problem that you can't solve. Now I want to tell you, there's some strategy in the devil couching his advances towards you and your confrontations right after you've had a great victory. 
usually when you're on the mountaintop, watch out for the valley. When you're on the mountaintop and you're experiencing God and God is doing so many great and wonderful things and, and you just can't imagine how good it is when suddenly you're confronted with something that just knocks you to your knees. You see, the devil despises anything that gives Jesus glory. Anything that magnifies Jesus and lifts him up as the Savior, the devil is doing his very best to tear that down and stop that. He doesn't want you testifying of the goodness of God. He doesn't want you telling people that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. He doesn't want you to tell people that Jesus can free them from their enslavement to addiction and to drugs and all the things that comes their way. But the sad, sad commentary is when he reported Jesus, when he comes back, he finds the disciples in a big debate. And evidently it's about, can Jesus really do these things? Can people really receive from Jesus the power and the anointing to do what Jesus does? In other words, Jesus doesn't want to only do what he does and let it end there. He wants you to do what he does. In fact, he even said before he went back to the Father, greater works than I have done, you will do because I'm going to the Father. Boy, somebody say amen. amen. You mean Jesus is going to do something when he gets in the presence of the Father that is going to be so beneficial for us that we can do the things that Jesus did? Well, the Bible says in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. Not them that preach, not them that pastor, but them that believe. They'll lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Amen. If they're confronted, I don't believe in purposely tempting God, but if they're confronted with a poisonous adder and it's a life or death, they will be able to throw that away and it won't hurt them. If they drink any deadly thing. I don't think you should tempt God by drinking a deadly thing, but if you drink a deadly thing, the Bible said it will not hurt them. Now here in America, couch in all of our prosperity and all we've got here, that, that's foreign. But out there where the missionaries are, brother, I want to tell you that happens. There are stories that come from the mission field, and Don can tell you those, and Brother Ford can tell too, about missionaries that go into a village and are fed poison by the uh, natives in that village and that after sufficient time when they should have been dead has passed the natives then realize hey these these must be for real because every other folks we feed this poison to it kills them you see if you receive what Jesus gives folks that kills other people won't kill you things that defeat other people won't defeat you Things that other people sink in, you won't be entrapped by. Things that cause other people to throw in the towel and quit and say, I can't take anymore, you can face the future with faith and go on because you're not like other people because you've got something that Jesus prayed for. Jesus said, I will pray. When I get to the Father, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. 
And that he spoke of the Spirit of God. Amen. And that's what I believe. I believe that God in the early church did great things. Now, we've got an encounter here, which is one kind. In the early church, the Bible said that Peter told the people of the town, rather than bring them out here to me, just lay them on the sidewalk. Just lay them on the sidewalk. And the Bible said, and as he passed by, as his shadow, as his shadow, as his shadow was cast upon the sick and the afflicted and the oppressed, they were healed of whatsoever disease that they had. Oh, I believe in miracles, for I believe in God. You see, when you believe in God, you believe that he miraculously can do all things, that there is nothing that confounds him, that there's nothing that he can't find out, that there's nothing that is beyond the purview of his power to change. There is no person he can't deliver. There's no person he can't save. There's no person he doesn't love. And here we find Jesus coming back and, and finding a church that cannot do what it used to do. Church, what do you mean church? Disciples. That was church back then. And somebody brought somebody to church for the church to deliver and heal, but they could not. You see, when you've got a form of godliness, but you don't have the power, you cannot. You see, when you have a, a false labeling, this is a spiritual church. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the power of God. That's our sign. That's what our label says. But if you don't have it, you cannot. Then when the blind and the halt and the withered and the oppressed and the addicted and the beat down and downtrodden come to you and the church just has to say, we cannot. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he came down to meet head on with a situation that his church couldn't handle, a situation that his church couldn't do, a situation that the church made all the slogans. I'm sure they did everything they'd done before. I believe they got the olive oil out and got the olive oil. I believe they all laid hands on, on that little boy as best they could and prayed and said, God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you that this boy would be delivered of this. We ask you, God, that he, he be freed from this oppression, that these fits that come upon him, we just ask you in Jesus' name to set him free from that, all of it that's going on in his life. Help him, God, and touch him and minister to him. But it didn't. But it didn't. And I'll tell you right now, it didn't because it wasn't the way God wanted it to happen. Is the way it didn't happen. That's called asking amiss. And we know that whatsoever things we ask in faith believing, Jesus said, I will do it. But over in James, we find that scripture that says, if you ask amiss, 
you're asking in vain. Pray all you want to. Scream in the name of Jesus all you want to. Even go fast if you want to, three or four days, do without food. And still come back and yell and scream and it still won't happen because it's not in the plan of God. I said it's not in the plan of God. And asking God to do something that is not in his plan is asking amiss. And God had a different way for this child to be healed. And I'll show it to you in just a minute. But the way they were trying to get it done was not God's way. You see, Faye and I have this discussion periodically. There's one thing to say I want God's will. It's another thing to say I want things God's way. I want his will, but I also want to dictate to him the way. I not only want what I want, I want to tell him how to do that. Come on, somebody. You see, the will and the way, that's two different things. And sometimes we get mad at God because he won't let us tell him the way. We not only want to understand, we want to see and know how are you going to do this. I can't just take my faith that you're going to do it. I got to know how you're going to go about that. Because I might not agree with the way that you make that happen. And if I, if I don't agree with the way, I may not want you will about it. Is that too tough? That's Wednesday night stuff. Now my old thin-skinned Folks have tough time. That, that, that wins the night crowd. They got thick skin, buddy. They've, been, they've had the bark kicked off their shin so many times, buddy. They're thick skin. Could it be that you're not getting answers to prayer because you ask amiss? Or because you're not willing to accept God's way? You're not willing to just put it in the hands of God and let God make it happen the way he wants to. But for some reason, this had worked before. The Bible says that these same disciples had been a part of what is called the 70. And the Bible said they were sent out, the 70. And he said, don't take script or purse with you. Go out and preach. And said, if they won't receive you, dust your shoes off and go on down the road. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it was for that house that you dusted your shoes off. Come on, somebody, that's in that book I preach out of. And the Bible said when they came back, they came back and said, oh, wow, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. They were rejoicing. They were jumping up and down. They were screaming. They were singing. They were shouting. They were dancing. They were having a whole time. Why? Because demons... We're subject to us. Brother, when we came upon a foul spirit, brother, we just took authority over it and it came out. Brother, when we hollered in the name of Jesus and demons went to shaking and trembling, out they came. Glory, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I just feel good talking about it, telling you about it, Jesus. We had camp meeting over there at that little old town I preached in, brother, I'm telling you, People got healed and demons come out crying with a loud voice and we were shouting all over town. Brother, when I left over there, they said, when you coming back? Oh, yeah. 
And Jesus said this, don't rejoice, don't shout, because demons are subject to you, but shout and rejoice because your name is in the Lamb's book of life and written in heaven. Hmm, we got that right backwards. If I had a guy to come in here this morning, <laughs> slobber, fall in the floor, and I walked around and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. Yeah. And suddenly, oh, hallelujah. You talking about shouting all over this house. Son, they'd be in the balcony, they'd be in the narthex, they'd be out in the atrium, they'd be running through the back of this place, they'd get out in the parking lot and run all over this place. Shouting because somebody took authority over the devil. But if I tell you I'm going to baptize somebody that just got saved, you get up and walk out the door. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> you won't rejoice over somebody getting saved, but you'd shout your shoe heels off. What does that tell me? Number one, it tells me that they've had experience dealing with foul spirits before. At some time or another, every one of them had seen God do miraculous things and heal people and deliver people. They thought, well, every time that, that happens, I can just walk in there and just holler Jesus. But they found out it don't work like that. Because when they came to this young child and thought they could do what they'd always done, and thought they could holler and use the same incantation they'd always used, it didn't work this time. So the disciples were confused, perplexed. Wow. And Jesus, when he appeared on the scene, he says to them, what is all the turmoil about? What's going on here? And suddenly the man in the crowd the Pharisees, the scribes, they were all angry and they were all carrying on. But the one with the need said, I, I, I need to get a hold of Jesus. And the Bible said he went to Jesus. You see, when you come to church, come to Jesus. Don't come to everybody that's fussing and everybody that don't like this and don't like that and don't like the other. Find Jesus somewhere and go to Jesus. Don't let anybody pinhole you and pull you off in a corner and tell you how so-and-so ain't doing right. Just start hunting Jesus. I said, just start hunting Jesus. When the praise team starts start singing, start hunting Jesus. Don't look at Ashland. Don't look at all the people that's over here. Start hunting Jesus. Where's Jesus at? They said if they'd lift him up, he said he'd draw people to him. He said, somebody in this house going to lift up Jesus. I don't need to look to the ushers. I don't need to find greeters. 
I need to find Jesus. I don't need somebody to give me directions. I need to find Jesus. I don't need somebody to make me sign a card. I need to find Jesus. Can you point me to Jesus? That's what I got to need, and that's why I came here today. I don't think you can help me. I've got to get to Jesus. I got to find Jesus. I got to get in the house where Jesus is. Woo! Sir, we would see Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Take me to Jesus. Take me to Jesus. Take me to the Savior. Take me to the healer. Take me to the deliverer. I got to find Jesus. Too busy hunting Jesus to listen to you fill my ears with what's wrong. I'm looking for Jesus. Jesus is so more important than whatever you got, you got to tell me. I got to find Jesus. Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Wow. At that old church, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, it's almost falling down now. When you go there and you tell a taxi, get a cabbie, and say, I want you to take me to Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon used to preach. That cabbie will drive you to that location and that great, great church is sitting there, but they don't have church anymore. It's full of spider webs, mice and rats. But you walk in and you walk up on the platform and you walk around to the podium where that great preacher, Spurgeon, preached so many years and you stand in that pulpit and you look up out over those thousands of seats in Metropolitan Tabernacle and you think about what used to be. How it used to be. When Spurgeon would preach, people would travel from the Americas. They'd come from Africa. They'd come from Asia to hear the great London preacher preach the gospel. And on that pulpit right in that middle, there's a little brass saying and it says this, the congregation couldn't see it, only the one behind the pulpit. It said, sir, we would see Jesus. Oh, I wonder if someday, after my long and winding road is finished, and after I've long gone, I wonder if someone would drive through here and say, my mother used to go to a church over there on the bypass called Harvest. Would you take me over there? Will there still be faith? Will there still be somebody lifting up Jesus? Would there still be someone stand in this pulpit and preach the word of God? Would there be someone that would sing the songs of Zion? Would there be somebody that would lift up holy hands without wrath? Would there be somebody in this house shouting, saying, God is good, God is great? Would there be people in an altar praying, seeking for God to do something for them? When Jesus saw that situation, I'm sure his heart was so broken 
to find out that his people could not do what he taught them to do. What he had managed and what he tutored and what he mentored and to find out they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And this man says to Jesus, I brought my son here today. And Jesus said, how long has he been that way? Since he was a child. And said that spirit that's in him is out to destroy him. And he said, it's only the goodness of God that he's made it this long. Jesus, realizing that this miracle is going to require faith not only on the part of disciples, but the Father. The Father's faith is not strong enough. Was he a good dad? You better believe he was. What a dad he was. When most folks would have taken a child like that and put him in a sanitarium or would put him into a place where society wouldn't have to be bothered with him. But this dad, but this dad, with tears, I said with tears, this dad wouldn't give up. And he said someday, somehow, somewhere, somebody, there's going to come a time, sometime, when I'll find out how he can be healed. And that drove that man. That drove that man. He was persistent. He was dedicated. He was a good father. When I, when I see that, that man who has the paraplegic son that runs in the Boston Marathon, he's got a special chair built that he puts his son in that chair and he runs and pushes that chair. That's what I think of when I think about this man. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever it costs. I'll do whatever needs to be done. And he said, Lord, if thou canst do anything, please help me with tears. Read it. It's in your Bible. It says, with tears. Oh, sometimes when we're praising God and people are shouting and I hear hallelujahs and glory to God, somehow I hear someone say, help, help. Sometimes when I see people in the altar and they're lifting up their hands and tears, I hear help, help. Help me, God, I need help. I can't find it anywhere else. I can only find it here. God, if you can do anything, would you help me? Please help me. If you can do anything. And Jesus said, if thou can only believe all things, including deliverance for your son, if you can just believe it. 
and with tears streaming down his cheeks. He said, Lord, I believe. Help, help, help my unbelief. He was saying, yes, God, I believe that you can do it. I have faith. I just don't have perfect faith. I've got faith. I just don't have perfect faith. And I need your help. I need you to increase my faith. I need your help. I need your action on this matter. I, 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 I believe that you can do something to help me to have faith like I need to have for that son of mine to be healed. Wow. I think this morning that should be the prayer of every person sitting in this house. Lord, I need your help with my faith, my faith issue, believing. Oh, I can believe you can do it for Trish. I just don't know if you could do it for me. I believe you could do it for Michelle, but God, I really don't know if you can do it for me. My situation is so chaotic. I brought them to church here. I brought them in, set them down. My son hooked on drugs. My daughter in love with another girl. My wife's sick. Home is a chaotic mess. I can't work enough hours to pay the bills. I can't get along. And I've come to God's house. God, can you help me? God, can you help me? God, can you help me? Oh, you sit through those times when the Spirit of God falls in this place and people rejoice and people talk about what great things God has done and you go back home and Johnny's still addicted and Betty's still messed up and my wife is still sick. What do you do when church won't work? What do you do when they cannot? I tell you what you do. You get somewhere in the presence of God. And you say to God, God, I need help. Not the preacher. Not the Sunday school teacher. Not the counsel. Not the clerk. Not Sue. Not John. Not anybody else. Me, God. Me. I. I need help from you. I need you, God, to increase and build faith in me. And the Bible said that the, the crowd came, came running back. The crowd reappeared on the scene. And the Bible says, Jesus then looked at that child and he said to that child, no, he didn't say to that child. He said to that spirit, oh, thou deaf and dumb 
spirit. See, a lot of times you talk to others, but you don't talk to the right thing. You tell people about the problem, you don't talk to the problem. Oh, thou deaf and dumb spirit. Spirit, spirit. I'm reminded of a little lady in Luke that the Bible said she was bowed together and she could in no wise lift herself. She had an affliction, had a terrible, terrible problem and she couldn't get well. And the Bible said she was in the crowd. The Holy Ghost said just like you were in this crowd. Thank you, God. She was in the crowd. And the Bible said, and Jesus called unto her. You see, she wasn't looking for Jesus. But Jesus was looking for her. Glory to God. You may have come here today sick and tired of the same old, same old. And you may not be looking for Jesus, but he's looking for you. I said he's looking for you. He saw that little woman and saw her bowed together. Couldn't lift up herself and walk like this. She could only see down. She could only see the shoes, soles of the shoes of other people. She could only, she couldn't look anybody eye to eye. She could only peer up from where she was. And when Jesus saw her, Jesus called her. And he said, woman. He didn't say spirit. He said, woman. Glory. TD preaches about it. Woman, thou art loosed. Thou art loosed. Can anybody in this house say loosed? Loosed. That's where, what God wants you to be when you walk out that door. Loosed. That's what God wants to happen to you in this service today. Loosed. Woman, thou art loosed. 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 Thou art loosed. And the next word, Carla says, and immediately. Has anybody ever had a immediately? I said, have you ever had an immediately? Have you ever had a turnaround that was immediate? Have you ever had something to happen in a moment of time? And immediately, immediately, immediately. Do you know that there's five immediately's in Matthew? There's two in Mark. And there's 43 in Luke. Luke loves that word immediately. He used it many, many more times than any of the other two evangelists. He said, immediately she was made straight. Glory to God. I don't know what chiropractor she went to, but she got made straight. Straight. Made straight. She was crooked, but she got made straight. 
She was bowed over, but she got made straight. And here come the devil. It's not lawful for you to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, did you not go down to the stable this morning and get your ox and lead him to water? And ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham be loosed, listen, from this spirit of infirmity that has had her bound for lo these 18 years? You mean Jesus knew how long she'd had it? Oh, you don't give him enough credit. He knows how long you've had it. He knows when you got it. He is there when you fell off the ladder and had the injury. He knows all about how it hurts. He knows all about everything that pertains to it. He knows all about it. And Jesus said, ought not this woman be loosed from this spirit of infirmity that had her bound 18 years? And the Bible said, and Jesus said, oh, thou dumb and deaf spirit, come out of him. Don't you hate it when the devil shows out in public? I hate it when the devil tries to show out in public. The Bible said before he come out, he tear him again and threw him on the ground and then he left him. And you know what Jesus said? Don't come back. Don't come back. You know, some of you, you prayed about something, but you didn't shut the door. I said, you didn't scream when he went out the door. Don't you come back, neither. Don't you ever set your foot in my spiritual house ever again. In Jesus' name, you get out of here. I'm giving you an eviction notice right now. Get out of my house. Get out of my heart. Get out of my family. Get out of my job. Get out of my health. Get out. And don't you come back. My blessed God. And the Bible said when he left, the boy lay there on the ground. It left him lifeless. It left him in a seemingly a, a coma of some kind because those around said, well, he's dead. That boy's dead. And Jesus said, well, I'm the resurrection. <laughs> and I'm the life. <laughs> so it might be that being as I'm the resurrection, and they think he's dead. And Jesus, the Bible said, took him by the hand and lovingly lifted him up and raised him. Oh, glory to God. Do you see the difference? Do you see what the devil does to you? Tears you and throws you on the ground, puts you in the fire and throws you in the creek. And Jesus, do you see what he does? He comes down and takes you by the hand and lifts you up and raises you up. Do you see the difference? Who wouldn't love Jesus? Who wouldn't want Jesus to set you free? I don't know of anything that can do for you what Jesus can do. And the Bible said he made him whole. Do you remember that night? Whew. 
You remember that time when you were laying there dead in trespasses and in sin? You remember that time when you were lost having no hope without God in the world? You remember that time when you were thrown away on the rubbish heap as garbage and debris that nobody wanted, that nobody thought was good? But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses and in sin, he quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, the devil will throw you down, but Jesus will pick you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a life God spared. There's so much preaching to do, but i am got to quit. So the disciples said, let's wait till we get him where we can talk to him. Come on, Connor. Let's wait till we get him where we've got him private. This public stuff is kind of dangerous. Let's get him somewhere where we've got his full attention. Jesus, need to talk to you about the service today. We was in pre-service and this boy showed up, you know, this guy with this boy. And uh, we thought we'd make quick work of that. We've done it before, always worked before, but why could we not do that like we've always done it before? And Jesus said, you failed to prepare. You didn't do the fasting and the praying before you encountered the problem. You know, it's kind of like those sons of Siva. You know, they came to Paul and they said, we'd like to buy your ability to heal people. We would like to buy your ability to command evil spirits to leave people. There's a good market for that kind of thing. We can make a lot of money with that. So they started trying to do what believers do, and they found a guy just like this. And they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, Come out of this man. And the Bible said, and that spirit tore them to pieces, beat them and battered them. And that spirit said this, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who in the world are you? Who in the world are you? You see, if you don't know him, if you, you've not been in that closet Brother Ford talked about yesterday morning, if you've not been in that throne room and you've not put your elbows on his knees and looked up into his face, if you've not been somewhere in prayer and seen the mighty hand of God do things, then you better leave the devil alone. But if you've paid the price and you've prayed and touched heaven, if you've done your 
work and done what you know to do to have faith in God, then brother, these signs shall follow them that believe. It was a hot July summer evening in Jacksonville, Alabama. I was six years old. My dad was pastor of the Jacksonville church. He came in from church that Sunday night. They didn't have air conditioning then. Had air, but it wasn't the air that you'd call conditioned. It just blew in from outside. Hot. My dad preached that night. After preaching, we all went back over to the parsonage, little bungalow. And dad went over to the gas stove there in the kitchen. I saw him turn the stove on. And before long, he humped up over it like this, like as if he was warming by it. I thought, man, it's July. You were just wet with sweat. My Lord, you're cold. And he began shaking and trembling. In a few more minutes, his mouth pulled around to the side and he couldn't talk to us. He started gasping for breath. He couldn't breathe. And my mother had a boy that lived in a trailer back behind the house, the Sheely boy. He came out and started helping my mother raise my dad up and down so he could get his breath. And my oldest brother, Donnie, he said, Daddy, I'm going to call the saints. Well, you're either a saint or you ain't. said, I'm going to call the saints. And they came in that little full-room parsonage up there on West Francis Avenue. And they came in, Brenda. They didn't ask what's wrong. They didn't say, hey, well, what are we going to do? Do we need to call the doctor? We need to get, get him to the emergency room, I guess, don't we? They came in there and they laid their hands on him. And Carlos, all of them prayed like you pray, loud. And they started crying out to God. They weren't bashful. They weren't timid. They didn't care who heard them. And as a six-year-old child, as close to my daddy as I am to you, Martha, I was there when it happened. I said, I was there. Don't need anybody to tell me about it. I was there. And that night, the power of the Lord came down and touched my daddy. It hit him in the top of his head, Jimmy. And suddenly those hands that were like this, suddenly went right straight. We had it immediately. I said, we had it immediately. I said, we had it immediately. My dad began to shout the praises of God. They shouted all over that parking lot, all over that porch out there on the front of that little old parsonage because God did it immediately. I said, God did it immediately. In 1956, my dad was a state evangelist. We lived on the campground, Brother Ford, in that little old cabin across from Brother and Sister Hillman, right there, right beside the cafeteria. I went with dad to church that night. I was seven. I went to da dad with revival. He preached. We drove in. All the little children in Birmingham was dying with diphtheria. You couldn't get them in a hospital. The hospital hallways were lined with beds with children, infants with diphtheria. It was an epidemic. 
And when we came home that night, my daddy walked over to Michael's crib bed, my baby brother, and he was choking to death with diphtheria. You probably remember those days probably in Birmingham, Steve. My daddy went over to that crib bed and he picked up that baby. Walked down those stairs and got in that chair there at the bottom of the stairs. And he said, God, I've been preaching your word tonight. I've bragged on you. I've told people how you could do impossible things. I told people that you're a savior. I told people you're a healer. I told them if they'd have faith and believe that you could do anything for them. And God, I need you to touch my baby. I don't have a doctor. I couldn't get this child in a hospital if I could get to a hospital. And Amy, my daddy looked down and Michael had gone back to sleep. Didn't cough another cough. Put him in that crib bed. And if he is here today, I'd get him to tell you this story. We had it immediately. I said we had it immediately. Mark, I'm going to tell you what the church needs. It needs some immediateness. It needs some immediateness. This church needs some immediateness. The church of God needs some immediateness. The churches of Aniston need some immediateness. We need to see God. We need to quit telling people, well, if you'll just believe, bless God, we need to fast and pray and do whatever needs to be done that when people come that need something from God, they can receive it. Do you believe that? I believe that. Stand with me all over this house. How many of you would say with me, I need God to help my unbelief? Don't act like you don't struggle with it. I know you do. How do you know that? Because I do. Because I do. I have to fight that battle every time I go to the God in prayer. Every time I preach a sermon, I have to fight that battle with unbelief. Fight it all the time. Fight it all the time. And I only am able to maintain faith because he helps me. He helps my faith. I said he helps my faith. He increases my faith. I want to tell you, if you're here today, no matter what you're going through, I'd like to tell you God's got more faith. I said God's got more faith. Turn to the person beside you and say more faith. 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 Brother Jerry, I sure would like God to do what he used to do. More faith. Well, I remember when God used to do this. More faith. I remember the time when you couldn't get a seat. More faith. More faith. More faith. More. Could it be that God's waiting on you to say, help? That he wants to deliver your loved one. He wants to move in your behalf. He wants to supply your need, but he's listening for you to say, help. Don't you let pride or arrogance or any other thing get in the way of saying, Lord, I need help. Help. Are you ready to pray that prayer this morning? Put your antenna up. Lord Jesus, in your name, I come to you. This body of people that has heard this gospel message are willing to say, God, like that man pastor preached about today, 
I need help. My faith, O oh Lord, is not perfect faith. My faith, O oh Lord, is not adequate. I, I need more faith. I need you. I need you to help me in the area of faith. I need you to assist me. I need you to comfort and bless and encourage me. God, I need more faith. My God, I feel a powerful surge of the Holy Ghost in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yes, receive that right now. God said, I will if you'll just ask me. I will if you'll just receive it. I'll do it. I told you I would do it. Just ask me and I'll do it. Just call out to me and I'll do it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Say with me, God, I believe you for help for my faith. And in Jesus' name, my problem, my difficulty, my hardship can be handled by my having more faith. And in Jesus' name, I accept it, I receive it, I embrace it, and in Jesus' name, I am blessed, strengthened, encouraged, and have more faith in Jesus' name. Hey, as we dismiss, look over at your neighbor and say, no weapon. No weapon. No weapon. The Bible says, no weapon, Kim, that the enemy shall fashion against me shall prosper. God won't let it. I said, God won't let it. No evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. In Jesus' name, I kicked him out this morning. All that discouragement, all that chaos, all that defeatism, all that negative pessimism, in Jesus' name, I'm a person of faith now. I believe the best. I believe God's going to do something better. I believe God's going to give things better. I believe God's going to heal. I believe God's going to save. I believe God's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. I believe God's going to do great things for his people. Hallelujah, because I've got more faith. More faith. Hey, before you leave here this morning, you testify to somebody and say, more faith. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost, and thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives this morning. Go with us to our homes and families. Give us a great day, to day together, and may we have more faith in Jesus' name. Amen.